Empire Lines uncovers the unexpected, often two-way flows of empires through art. Interdisciplinary thinkers use individual artworks as artifacts of imperial exchange, revealing the how and why of the monolith empire. In this episode, Huda Shower rewrites the fairy tales in England's 18th century country houses. Exposing the Indian and Palestinian foundations of Derbyshire's Kedliston Hall. Nestled amidst acres of rolling hills, a regal stately house rises from sweeping vistas of Derbyshire's woods and parklands. Its plastered hallowed walls are filled with masterpieces of artwork, sculptures and the finest furniture. Large canopied beds burst from its bedrooms, the kind that seem made for the sleeping princesses in children's fairy tales. But these fairy tale musings are far detached from the political and historical realities. This is Kedliston Hall, a magnificent neoclassical mansion built by the architect Robert Adam in the 18th century. It is the ancestral home of the English Curzon family, and its most famous owner was Marquise George Nathaniel Curzon, better known as Lord Curzon who represented the crown in British-ruled India, or the Raj, as Viceroy of India between 1899 and 1905. Since 1987, the hall has been maintained as the property of the Heritage Conservation Entity, the National Trust, which oversees and maintains hundreds of stately houses in Britain. The British charity's mission statement is to look after nature, beauty and history throughout England, Wales and Northern Ireland, for everyone, forever. As a child, my family summer holidays were always spent in Derbyshire, where my mother was born and grew up, before moving to London to work as a journalist. There, she met my father, an engineering student from Gaza, Palestine. Both of my parents loved the Derbyshire countryside, and we enjoyed visiting various historical and country houses and parks belonging to the National Trust Estates taking long walks around their vast parklands and surrounding woods. In 2018, the National Trust embarked on an ambitious programme of re-examining the links between 11 of its properties and Britain's imperial and colonial history in India, Africa and the Caribbean. Led by Professor Corinne Fowler, the resulting Colonial Countryside Project is a collaborative effort of academics, curators local communities, and most importantly, school children and young people, which unearths the property's hidden connections to slavery and plantation ownership and traces historic sources of wealth and money. Kedliston Hall, as Lord George Curzon's former home, was a perfect selection for the project. But my encounter with the owner of this regal stately house had less to do with his role as Viceroy of India. More relevant to me personally, it came from learning about his later career as Foreign Secretary between 1919 to 1924 during the British Mandate in Palestine, in which France and Britain divided the colonial mandates of Syria, Mesopotamia and Palestine among themselves. 
British rule in India started as European powers competed to acquire Asian trading posts. The English East India Company, which was formed in 1600, would grow from an entity trading in cotton, silk, tea and opium into a massive military authority that would seize and administer territories. Following a rebellion in 1875, the British government dissolved the East India Company and the administration of India was transferred to the British Crown. The exalted appointment of Viceroy of India as representative of the Crown was a highly sought goal to serve in the jewel in the Crown. Born in 1859 at Kedliston, George Curzon's family had owned the Derbyshire estate for more than 700 years. Curzon was an Oxford-educated, eloquent writer who epitomised the grandeur and machinations of empire, believing that the British rule in India was the greatest thing his countrymen had achieved, he was appointed in 1898 as representative to the sovereign in India, the finest government house in the empire. Curzon's career as Viceroy of India reflects an enduring testimony to the legacy of empire. As his biographer David Gilmore writes, Curzon was an imperialist statesman who refused to discuss the day when India would be self-governing. Declaring his apprehensions about a possible Indian independence, Curzon said, it will not come in my time and I cannot say what may happen in the future. But his role is rather more contested. Some celebrate his achievements in India, such as restoring the heritage site of Agra's Taj Mahal. Others condemn him as a paragon for empire par excellence, responsible for the bitterly opposed partition of Bengal in 1905 along Hindu and Muslim religious lines, which incited divisive racial politics. In a typical colonial mindset, Curzon was more interested in the artifacts and architecture of India than its people. Describing the Taj Mahal Mausoleum, he writes, the Taj is incomparable designed like a palace and finished like a jewel, a snow-white emanation starting from a bed of cypresses and backed by a turquoise sky, pure, perfect, and unutterably lovely. As a connoisseur and collector of fine art, Lord Curzon amassed a collection of over a thousand objects from India and the Middle East during his tenure as Viceroy of India. It spans Islamic artifacts, metalwork, illustrated manuscripts, calligraphic paintings, textiles, arms and armour, ivory and taxidermy. A once-proud tiger now lies splayed and glassy-eyed on the floor. Locked in their original Edwardian cabinet cases, this vast collection is now kept in the Hall's Eastern Museum. Perhaps Kedliston Hall was never meant to be a family home, but a show palace to showcase the spoils of the British Empire, the finest art, sculpture and furniture. During our family visits to Kedliston, we would enjoy picnics in the typical English tradition of sitting next to our car in the estate's car park and sometimes take afternoon tea in the tea room, once the premise of the great kitchen of the house. Carved into the stone walls, the foreboding inscription of a Dickensian saying, waste not, want not, loomed overhead. 
evoking the atmosphere of the much-loved TV series like Upstairs, Downstairs or Brideshead Revisited. As a child, I imagined trays of game pies and hot steaming puddings carried by the butlers and parlourmaids to be served at a banquet in the opulent dining room upstairs. On the great staircase, I encountered the portrait of Lady Mary Curzon, the Viceroy of India, resplendent in a stunning golden iridescent dress, embellished with feathers and emeralds. Named the peacock dress, its fabric was painstakingly handcrafted by Indian artisans and then sent to be sewn by the House of Worth in Paris. The dress was made for Lady Mary to wear at the Delhi Durbar Ball in 1903, a grand spectacle of pageantry organized by the Viceroy to celebrate the succession of King Edward VII and Queen Alexandra as the new emperor and empress of India. Lady Curzon's portrait in the peacock dress was so mesmerizing, I thought she was the Queen of England or a fairy queen from Lewis Carroll's Narnia. The National Trust's colonial countryside project seeks to contextualize the collection's items of cultural heritage from formerly colonized regions, retelling the unique trajectories of these objects and artifacts. It sheds light on the political context in which they were obtained. The colonial countryside project invites schoolchildren, along with historians and authors, to explore the histories of objects in the museum's collections. If I could talk, I would tell you stories, is the labeled invitation to those who gaze upon these artifacts today. Both the children and historians admired the exquisite beauty of the infamous peacock dress, but they also discussed its symbolism as embodying the power of empire, highlighting the invisibility of the workers behind the garment. In Inglorious Empire, what the British did to India, Indian author Shashi Tharoor illuminates the brutal destruction of India's textile industry during British colonial rule. It rapidly declined from a previously global thriving textile manufacturing industry, enjoying a 25% share of the global trade in textiles in the 18th century, to one of rural poverty and disenfranchised artisans during the British Raj. By imposing high duties and tariffs of 70% to 80% on Indian exported cloth, the British monopolized industrial production. As British trade exports to India soared, Indian textile production was rendered unsustainable. Famine was a common occurrence under British administration. Theroux quotes, The last large-scale famine to take place in India was under British rule, citing between 30 and 35 million Indians died of starvation during the British Raj. Standing in front of the peacock dress during my revisit to Kedliston Hall in October 2021, I was thinking of locating my own personal story, a connection that I would never have fathomed as a visiting teenager to Kedliston Hall. Amidst the dazzling display of the spoils of empire, I was searching for a link to my cultural heritage evidence of Lord Curzon's connections with another British colonized region, Palestine. Lord Curzon is perhaps best known for his career as Viceroy of India, but he later served as British Foreign Secretary 
following the Balfour Declaration of November 1917. Named after the British Foreign Secretary at the time, Arthur James Balfour, the Balfour Declaration is considered a traumatic and ill-omened chapter in Palestinians' history. Documented in a letter penned by Balfour to Lord Rothschild in 1917, the Declaration states, His Majesty's Government view with favour the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavours to facilitate the achievement of this object. It being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or the rights and political status enjoyed by Jew in any other country. The declaration was the outcome of negotiations between British leaders and government officials and the president of the English Zionist Federation, Chaim Wiseman, to support the Zionist project of creating a pro-British Jewish Palestine. In spring 1917, Palestine was the battleground between British and Ottoman forces. The fighting involved air raids, trench warfare and bombing. By December 1917, Jerusalem fell to the British and the Palestinians found themselves under British occupation. In the Hundred Years' War on Palestine, a history of settler colonialism, the historian Rashid al-Khalidi writes that the Belfort Declaration committed Britain to the creation of a national Jewish homeland, whilst referring to the Palestinians, roughly 95% of the country's population at the time, as its non-Jewish population. Among the staunch supporters of Belfort's project was the English diplomat advisor, Mark Sykes, who, along with his French counterpart, François-Georges Picot, spearheaded the Sykes-Picot Agreement, which carved up the post-Ottoman Empire Arab lands into the modern Middle East. On the opposing side, considerably less numbered and eventually outvoted, was Lord Curzon, who voiced his opposition in written testimonies and vocally in cabinet. Doreen Engrams documents the cabinet debates in the Palestine Papers 1917 to 1922, Seeds of Conflict. Curzon's testimonies are taken from the secret minutes. The increased numbers of Jewish immigration into Palestine, he said, would render the Arabs hewers of wood and drawers of water. As Foreign Secretary, Curzon remained pessimistic about the future of Palestine, regarding the Balfour Declaration as the worst of Britain's Middle East commitments. Lord Curzon's death in 1925, just one year after leaving his position as Foreign Secretary, leaves room for speculating what the Middle East might have looked like today had he remained in office. Yet, as Rashid al-Khaldi states, Britain's sophisticated and brutal divide-and-rule colonial policies and tactics peaked to perfection after hundreds of years of maturation in Ireland, India and Egypt continued to operate violently to prevent the creation of a national Palestinian alternative to the Mandate and the Zionist project. Revisiting Kedliston Hall, I searched for maps, journals, artefacts and objects that may reflect the connections between the property and my ancestral homeland, Palestine. Its presence is instead found in a biblical context, in the many masterpiece Renaissance paintings 
that hang in the house. One oil painting by Genovese artist Bernardo Strozzi, dated in the early 17th century, shows a scene from the Holy Land entitled St. John the Baptist Interrogated About Christ. It portrays a confrontation between a bearded figure in a strong flood of light leaning towards the figure of St. John the Baptist, questioning him about Christ the Saviour. Strozzi's painting was acquired by George Curzon's ancestor, Nathaniel Curzon, in 1758 to furnish his newly built mansion with high-quality Italian paintings. Many biblical scenes were procured and sourced to add prestige, perhaps piety, to the collection. Dr. Ella Kilgallen, property curator at Cudliston Hall, explained to me that the vast collection of the Eastern Museum is still being researched. Perhaps future analysis will reveal artefacts associated with Curzon's role as foreign minister during the British mandate in Palestine. What is clear is that the tangled histories of British imperialism hide a greater variety of stories to a more diverse audience than India, Africa, and the Caribbean. Still, this biblical interrogation scene mirrors the National Trust's own colonial countryside project of questioning and interrogating forgotten chapters of Britain's long colonial legacy. This project, that has involved 11 National Trust properties so far, has attracted wider public attention and hostile criticism from the Conservative right. One Conservative Party MP was quoted as saying that the Trust's investigations into global and colonial connections have been overtaken by divisive Black Lives Matter supporters. Such reflect the reductionist attitudes to the tangled histories of empire and the need to engage diverse audiences with a greater knowledge of its operation. India gained its independence in 1948 and contemporary India is no longer an occupied, colonized country. Meanwhile, the British mandate's hastily orchestrated departure from Palestine in 1948 facilitated the expulsion of 750,000 Palestinians from their homes and the occupation of their lands. This paved the way to the creation of the State of Israel for the Jewish people while denying Palestine and its people their independence and their state. Now is the time to expand the debate and for the National Trust to open its ears not only to the claims of past colonized territories of India, Africa, and the Caribbean, but also to Britain's colonial practices in the Middle East. Perhaps Cadliston Hall is the place where we might begin to acknowledge Britain's role in the brutal consequences of partition policies in Palestine and their repercussions for the region today. Empire Lines is produced by Jelena Sofronievich. For more episodes, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.